The following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Thank you, Father, for letting some of your happy, delightful life flow through us. Thank you for bringing light, a little bit more light into the world, and thank you for the privilege of using us, we who are so earthly, who are so not divine, we who are so not holy, holy, holy. By your mercy and by your sovereign grace, you have moved towards us in your Son. You have given us mercy. You have given us grace in him. You have given us life in him. I thank you for the privilege of some of that light and life being able to, to overflow out of us to others. It's good. It is it's weird. I feel like crying and, and like jumping up and down and celebrating all at the same time. It's just the strangest thing. But uh, it's good. It's a good life. It's a good life that you lead. It's a good life that you have, oh God. I pray that you would take your word now, and that you would come and move through your word you would fill us with more of your life. You would cause more of your life to overflow to the world through us. So I say, say thank you for what you have done, and I, I pray, Father, would you do so much more. I don't say that to, to denigrate what has already been done. I just say that to say glorify your name, that much more. Do, do it again, Father. Do it again. So please guide my words now. Please fill me. Would you please cause me to talk about the most important things? Leave, leave the other stuff out and meet with us here, I pray. Take this gymnasium and make it a holy place because we would have met with you here and now. Would you do this because you are a good and merciful God. So lead us now by your spirit, we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Isaiah. We'll be looking at this book this week and next week. I've chosen this passage. Sometimes people ask me, how do I choose these off, one-off sermons? I, I've, I've chosen this passage because it continues some of the important themes we have seen in Colossians, but, but Lord willing won't get in the way of the rest of Colossians when we're done. Uh, Isaiah is a prophet of the nation of Israel. He's speaking here around 600 years before the time of Christ. Israel was meant to be the servant of God bringing his kingdom to the nations, but they failed. 
God then brought upon them war and captivity in Babylon. But now, as Isaiah's writing, the people have returned to the promised land just as prophesied. But there is a problem. Even the terrible suffering of the Babylonian captivity has not changed them. You know, despite what we say about whatever doesn't kill you, suffering does not change the human heart. In chapter 52, therefore, God calls them to depart, depart, go out from there. But, but He doesn't mean literally. He means in a deeper sense than just leaving. Israel had returned, but their hearts were still under this Babylonian captivity. They needed a deeper exodus. We can and should relate. We who are Christians have experienced our own freedom from captivity by coming to Christ. But we are not yet what we will be, and we, we wait for God to fulfill all of His promises. So, what do we do? What, what do we ought to be about here in the middle of, the, of time, and between the ages? What kind of people are authentically led by God on this, on this deeper exodus? What kind of people are filled and blessed by God to, to rise above the world, while at the same time, Having, having light and power to bring the kingdom into the world at the same time. What, what kind of people does this look like? That's the question before us this morning. It's a, it's a question really, very simple. What does real religion look like here between the ages? The, this passage is, is longer. It, it's not that hard to understand. Um, it's blunt. It's really blunt. Um, but if we can keep listening... I, I trust that God will, will move in the bluntness and, and turn it into good news. That's what I pray for. So let's, let's look at the text. I'm going to read all the way from Isaiah 58, verse 1, down to 59, verse 13. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. 
The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour out yourself for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water and you, whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs. They weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies. And from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity, and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities, transgressing, transgressing and denying the Lord, and turning back from following our God. Speak, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. The word of the Lord. The blunt word of the Lord. The passage is, is shaped like, a, like an upside-down V. The, the first 12 verses of 
chapter 58 build up to the point of verses 13 and 14 at the end of chapter 58, and then the back side of the V is really those 13 verses of chapter 59. So I'm going to follow the shape of the text today, taking the, the first leg up, and then the, the second point will be about the second leg down, and then the third point will be about the point of the passage, the real point in the middle. Three observations. What kind of people authentically walk with God and are powerfully used by Him? That's what we're after. That's the question we're after this morning. The first observation is this. True religion flows out of the life of God, turning from self to others. True religion flows out of the life of God, turning from self to others. This passage opens with a surprising contrast when you think about it. Verse 1 is, give it to them, Isaiah. Tell them their sin. Lay it down. Then verse 2, you know, frankly, reads like a checklist of things that I would look for if I were looking for a new church. Um, they seek God daily. They delight to know His ways. They ask of God His righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Sounds like a church I'd join. Sounds like a good church website. But something's off. And when we get a hint of what's wrong in the next sentence, they, these religious practices, they don't result in doing righteousness. They don't result in spreading justice in the world. So then we hear the people complain in verse 3. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you... You don't notice. You don't take any knowledge of it. Uh, do, do, do you hear the subtle accusation of God there? You're doing it wrong. And it's almost superstitious. It's certainly self-righteous. And it's maybe legalistic too. The genie's not coming out of the bottle. We're rubbing it right. And you're not answering us. You're not coming out of the bottle. What's wrong? You're, are you asleep? They're accusing God, this holy, holy, holy God. This is, did you hear it? It's maybe helpful when someone else says to hear the deep evil in that. This is bad. <clears throat> so verse 3 uh, gives us the deeper problem. And, and by the way, at this point, God keeps answering their questions, which is deeply merciful. Deeply merciful that there is even more words from God here <laughs> to this, this evil. The problem is that when they fasted, when they, when they did their religious practices, they sought their own pleasure, their own business. Their own religious practices were about themselves. And the problem is, we, we don't know exactly how this worked, but the result was that as they pursued self-interest... Other people were hurt. Other people were oppressed in some way. We don't exactly know how, but, but other people were oppressed. Their religious practices were about self so that they didn't see past their own noses to how other people around them were, hurted, were hurting or neglected. Thus, God takes no notice of them. Uh, you, you hear the logic of this, by the way, husbands? In 1 Peter 3, 7, 
where Peter says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to them as the weaker vessel. And then he ends this with the little phrase, If you don't, your pr- so that your prayers may not be hindered. If, if you don't take notice of your wife, I will take no notice of you when you come to me and say, Please give me a promotion. Put that in my heavenly inbox and wait until you look over here. The problem, the deeper problem, the heart problem was that they were bloated with the empty air of self, not the spirit. That's why in verse 4, when they, when they fasted and hadn't eaten all day, by the end of the day, they'd get cranky and start fighting. Their fists demonstrated a, a devilish, voracious appetite to feed self. That was operating in their religious practices. No wonder such religion is not heard on high. It, so to, it makes God want to throw up, so to speak. Which leads us to verse 5, which is really a, a, a remarkable and unique verse in the Bible. Because normally in the Bible, humility attracts the eye of God. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's the most common commonly repeated verse in the Bible. But not here. Of course it is good to set aside time to humble ourselves, to to physically bow down to God because we are spirit and body. But when that bowing down is really evidence of curling in on self, it's distasteful to God. And we, we must admit, and I, I must admit, I, we are all prone to the same subtle shift and drift, to curl away from God into ourselves and, and to place our trust not in God but in the religious practice itself, not the God that the practice points to, that it's a channel to. I've done this. We, we, we experience the sweet taste of God in prayer, but then we superstitiously begin to think that the reason why our prayers are answered is because of our note card system that we follow. Um, or we experience sweet fellowship with God through the community that we experience in another church, but then we conclude that that is the only way that a church should pursue community, that structure. We can become self-righteous and, and demanding about the very things that God has blessed us with. Or we see people saved and, and built up through a Bible ministry, but then we, we look down on people who don't follow the same approach or the same time commitment that, that we follow. We can become legalistic about the means by which God has blessed us. The result is that God is no longer in it. Again, often it's something very good on the surface, something by which we have been richly blessed in the past. But God is not in it because there's no more room for Him in it, because it's filled with the, it's bloated with the air of self. The means have become the ends. And when we make the means the ends, we we neglect the ends that God chooses, verses 6 through 12. Verse 6, that that real people would be freed from the chains that oppress them, from the wickedness of others. That That we would see the oppression that people are under that we would see it, and that we would use all of our creativity and and strength and and influence to see them freed. Even Even when it pushes against the agenda of our chosen 
political party or ideology. It says here, every yoke. Verse 7, to be generous to the world, to see the real needs of those around us, to see uh, that that the people in this valley who, who lack housing or lack sufficient food, to see to it that they have that. This is authentic religion. This is the fast that God wants, a fast from self to God moving out towards others. It's life lived according to the order of the Lord's Prayer to advance the the delight and the hallowing of His name and to to see His kingdom advanced in the world and His will done because that is the good life. But not only is this kind of religion the best thing for the world, it is the best thing for us, verses 8 through 12. It is the best thing for us because the, the good life is the life of the kingdom. And the life of the kingdom is simply a reflection of the life of God. The life that God himself has lived from eternity past. A life of light, verse 8. We only can, can push light into the world when we become to share in his life of light. He himself is not even the source of light. He is light. And because of his generous nature, he can't but help but share his light with the universe. That is the life that he lives, pure, utter light. A life of healing for ourselves and others because he himself is life. A life of righteousness. Because he himself, from forever past and forever into the future, is a holy, holy, holy God. The good life is a life of living in his authentic virtue, his pure goodness. And whenever a people live in righteousness... What always comes is peace and security. Peace and security that transcends the world. The peace and and utter security that God, the triune God, has always existed in. Utter peace, utter security. Security that nothing in creation can touch. This is the life God lives This is the life that the Trinity has always experienced. You see this in verse 9, a a life of easy, free, and back and forth with God. Up and down, up and down from the earth to heaven and back again. Free and easy movement between God and the earth. A free and easy exchange with the holy, holy, holy. The life of the Trinity. The life that the Father, Son, and Spirit have always enjoyed with each other. That's what God wants to spread in the world. A life when we call, he, whenever we call, He says, here I am. A life where not only are we, where we are filled with light, but where we have the joy of seeing that light spread into the darkness, verse 10. A joy a light that, that brings a joy that it supersedes all of our gloom. This is the good life. 
It's the life of God himself. Which then results in the kingdom advancing. Verse 12. As we share in the life of God and as we, as we see his priorities and as we are filled with the life of God and we live according to those priorities and we move towards the world according to his priorities, according to what he loves and what he hates, we can't help but become rebuilders, changers, for the earth to become a little bit more like heaven. This is the good life, a life that is not only lived in the life of God, that enjoys the life of God, but, but, but through us, the life of God pours out from us into the world. That's the good life. And that is the only form of true Christian religion that there is. Nothing else is Christianity. As someone else has said, you, you, you don't get your own personal Jesus. You, you don't get a Jesus that is just for you. We're, we're, we're not talking here about, about the, the mindset that we use at the mall where we go shopping and we're, and we're looking for stuff to, to make me better. No, we're talking about losing ourselves in the life of God. And as we lose ourselves in the life of God, He fills us with His life and then His life flows through us to the world. That's what we're talking about. The reason why we read a passage like this and we read about justice coming into the world and, 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 and yokes being broken and people being freed and, and it, it feels a little bit alien to us. The reason is not that we're out of good ideas for, for how that should happen in this valley. The, the, the reason is not that, that we don't have the energy or the money the reason is that we are too curled in on ourselves and we don't share as much of the life of God as we think because too much of our religion is about us. We're, we come to, to church and to worship more like shoppers than worshipers. That's our problem. That's my problem. Start with me. We need his life. Now, now, let me be very clear here. This passage is not saying, if you do these things, then you will be saved. That's, that's not what the passage is saying. The passage is, is making, it, it says, if then, but the if then is saying, this is what this people looks like. This is what this, this kingdom people looks like. This is what a people looks like who are living the good life, the life of God. That's, what it, that's the, the logic here. This is the kind of people who, who observe God's kind of fast. We're all looking for the good life at the mall, in money, in sex, and in power, even in our own religious practices. But only those who encounter and, and find themselves lost in the life of this God truly find the good life. There is no other good life. God, help my heart to believe this. Help us to believe this. 
So what, so what keeps us from finding this life? Back, back to the original question. Uh, oh God, what, why have you not given us this life? Why are you not answering us? This leads us to the second observation. Our sin shows us our desperate need for the life of God. Very simple. Our sin shows us our desperate need for the life of God. Again, we'll return to the end of chapter 58, but looking here at chapter 59, God returns to their question. Why aren't you doing it right, God? And his essential basic answer is, it's not me, it's you. (laughs) It's not that God's hand is shortened. God can do whatever he wants. Sins and iniquities, these have made a separation between the people and God. The problem with religion, the double problem with religion that's, that's curled in on itself is, is first that it does not transform the heart and it does not lead to this, this free giving of self to the world. It's too distracted. But it also leads to sin. Sin is, sin is the indicator here. It's not, the, it's not the deepest problem, but it's an indicator that something deeper is going on. There's a separation between the people and God. That's the problem that sin is indicating, like a dashboard light, a red light on your dashboard. Note how each of the items in verses 3 through 8 are the the opposite of how true religion was defined back in chapter 58. Instead of hands and fingers that that generously love the poor, they are defiled with the blood of the poor. We need to ask ourselves, as we've pursued the good life of consumerism, how have we left the poor behind? How do we, when we raise our hands to worship God, how are they bejeweled, so to speak, with the, with the jewels of consumerism? And how does God look at that and say, ugh, We need to honestly ask this question. Instead of mouths that speak the truth such that the oppressed are set free, that mouths that are courageous enough to to speak truth to the culture, to free people, they speak lies to protect themselves. When do we risk our reputations to speak the truth to our culture, to see real oppression changed? Verse 4, instead of going to court to bring justice, they use the law to further injustice. Instead of creatively thinking of ways to spread the character of God, they conceive of mischief. In what ways do we spend our energy conceiving of ways to to free people from, from real specific bondage? How much time do we spend thinking about that during our weeks? Versus how much time do we spend comparing product features of the things that we might buy? How much? How much do we spend in each category? I don't say this to condemn. I I ask these questions because they've been convicting to me so that I would understand where I'm actually at. Verses 5 and 6, instead of 
using their power and their brains to, to construct means to free people, people are only trapped in what they do more and more. Instead of clothing the poor, the poor are trapped deeper and deeper in their webs. Verse 7, though on the outside they look like a church you'd want to, jo- want to join, they really, what they really want is evil down deep. Their feet go on autopilot towards the feeding of self. The result is desolation and destruction. So verse 8, th- this is the human condition. Um, this is the human condition. It's no wonder that Paul uses this passage. He quotes this passage in Romans 3 when laying out the gospel. This is all of us. This is all of us. This is, this is our default position. This, we come by this honestly. No one has to tell us to be this. This is all of us. Our deepest problem is that sin makes a separation between us and God. Our biggest problem is that we are separated from God, left to ourselves. So, if you are not in Christ, if this resembles you and you have never placed your faith in Christ, I, I implore you, trust Him today. Put your faith in Him. But then, Christian, we, we, we have to look, church, we have to look at this and realize that he is speaking to the people of God. This is not primarily an evangelistic passage. This is talking to the people of God, and he's drawing us to ask ourselves and look honestly and say, here is true religion. How do we measure up? So it's good to take a moment and ask ourselves, where are we in this? And of course, the answer is mixed. And I just commended us for our our great generosity in two projects to advance the kingdom. Of course, the answer is mixed. Um, but, But for our secret sins, for our neglect, for our neglect of the poor, for our distraction, for our our self-assertive, self-filling way of life for, for ignoring the, the real oppressions and, and bondages that, that sit on real people in this valley. We, we should first mourn. We, we, we should first mourn and, 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 and feel the, the, the sadness of this, of, of how little of the life of God, the good life, really flows through us to this people. And how much of the opposite flows through us. Now, if, if we would, this is a, this is a sour note, but, but, but if we would, it, it would be good for us. It would be good for us. And, and this is what Israel does in verses 9 through 13. You, you notice the, the change of the voice and how I read it. It, it. it changes from the third person to the first person to we, us. Verse 9, we, we acknowledge we are more a part of the darkness than we care to admit. We are more like animals than your image bears. Verse 11, we want to rise above. You, you can feel this in the text. We, we want to be good. We want to be good and do good. To bring justice and not injustice. But, but goodness and justice, they're so far from us. And now we see why. Because in subtle and big ways, we've peeled away from God. We can't do it. 
the reason why we don't give birth to the good life of the kingdom is that we've become disconnected from you, from your life, because you are the good life. Yes, yes, the problem is not with you. It's with our peeling away from you. That's the problem. We get it. Our problem is our communion or lack thereof with you. That's our problem. We don't have it in us to be good and to do good. We don't have it in us to even want to love you or our neighbor, not even close. Help. That's how the text ends. No one can rise above the muck of the earth. We all desire the transcendent. We all desire good. Everybody you meet out here, we all want that. But we're all trapped down here under, under an inversion of, of sin and self. We are all desperate. And I, I want to say, if this seems like a downer of a sermon... Um, to come to this point is really good. To come to this point again, because on the other side of desperation is life. On the other side of seeing that you can't do it is revival. The other side of seeing how distant we are from God, on the other side of that is coming and, and communing with this God and experiencing His good life. But first, God must bring us to this point. This is the best place to be right now. The worst place in the world to be is in this church, sitting here smug and self-satisfied in your own spiritual performance. That's the most dangerous, worst place to be. But to feel this desperation, this, this desperate hunger for God means on the other side of that, you will be filled. God loves to do this. You know, re repentance in the Bible is never just away from sin. We sin because we're looking for the good life away from God. Repentance in the Bible is always to God. That's what repentance is. Because the good life is found in Him. The good life that you were programmed, designed, created to search in all your searching, in all your life. We grieve, we grieve, but we don't stay here. We grieve and then we, we turn to Him to commune with Him that we would join Him in His life. So how do we do this? The answer is both, uh, it, it is intensely spiritual and it is, it is really practical. I, I, I love how God is that way. He is spirit, and He is practical for us. So back to verses 13 and 14 of chapter 58. Third point is this. The life of God is found by habitually delighting in 
the heritage of Jacob. The life of God is found by habitually delighting in the heritage of Jacob. We ourselves cannot touch, reach up above the inversion of sin and self and and touch the life of God. We can't do that. But we so desperately need to and we so desperately want to, all of us. Everyone you meet wants this, whether they can articulate it or not. It's what we want and all are desiring, but therefore God provides a way. God provides a way. The Sabbath. (laughs) Does that surprise you? (laughs) It kind of did me reading this. The Sabbath. (laughs) He says, if you call the Sabbath your delight, if you honor it and not use it to seek your own pleasure, then you will find delight. You will find yourself delighting in the Lord. It says, if you do this on this one day of the week by, by fencing off time and making it holy, by making it set aside, you will encounter God. You won't just be going through the motions. You will encounter God. And it will be to your delight. The thing that finding the perfect thing at the mall is a, is a, a little facsimile of delight. Ooh, I found this thing. Three weeks later, I don't want that, I want something else. No, real delight that never goes away. You will find it through the Sabbath. You will transcend the earth, verse 14. It almost sounds like God is overpromising here, to be honest. At least that's how I feel. How? Well, we don't do this. It says, God will do it. We don't come to God. We, we fence off this space, and then God comes to us. How? It says, God will feed us the heritage of Jacob. What does this mean? Jacob, you may remember, had a dream. Genesis 28. He saw a ladder reaching from the earth to heaven. And at the top of the ladder was God. And moving up and down freely, back and forth between heaven and earth were the angels. Then God promises Jacob that he will give Jacob offspring numbering like the dust of the earth and a place of peace and rest for his offspring, him and his offspring to dwell. And God promises him that all the world will be blessed through this offspring. Jacob awakes and he calls this place the house of God, the gate of heaven. Because there on that little patch of dirt, God met with him. And then, it's the strangest thing. Nothing else is said of Jacob's dream for for the Old Testament. Nothing else is said. It's the strangest thing. Until in John 1, this exchange is recorded between Jesus and Nathan, the disciple. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. 
Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There is Jacob's ladder again. The key word there is on. Jesus is telling Nathan, I am that bridge. I am this ladder. I am your only way to God, to this free, easy back and forth, giving and taking, this free and easy relationship with God. This give and take between heaven and earth, between the profane and the holy. That's me. The point of the Sabbath is not to follow a law, not to put our trust in what we do. This was, the, this was the Pharisee's problem in John 5. Jesus said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. They wanted to kill Jesus because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was saying, I'm the point of the Sabbath. The point of the Sabbath is to create this space and time for you to meet with me, and in me you will see God. Again, not to shop around and, and, and know more about me, but to commune with me, to enjoy me, to have your heart wrapped around me in love and and have your, your life found in my life. That's what the Sabbath is for. The reason for this, think about why we need this so badly. Think about what's happening the rest of the week. Think about all the other things that your heart and my heart gets wrapped around the rest of the week. How many other things, so many earthly things, most of them not inherently bad, but the things of earth, the things down here. We so much to need to habitually come back and have God come and meet with us. God promises us that when we, when we fence off this, this little patch of ground on the dust of the earth here, it will become a holy place because He will meet with us and He will share His life with us and we will be absorbed into His life through Christ. That is what the Sabbath is for, nothing less. And as, as we experience this life, something amazing happens. Our, our death grip and all these other things that, that, that cause us to, to curl in on ourselves, it, it, that death grip gets broken and we, we curl out of ourselves again. And as we, as we curve out of ourselves, we are now suddenly positioned to actually flow that life of God into the world. Isaiah's point here is, I, I think, profound. The most important factor 
in our bringing justice to the world and breaking the oppressions that real people are under, the most important factor in that is what we do with Sunday. And dare I say, I, I, would, I would go so far as to say, yes, be in church. Yes, worship God in church. But even more so, what we do with Sunday afternoon. Here's where I'm, I am convicted. What we do with Sunday afternoon, what our families, what our wives, what our loved ones do with Sunday afternoon. That is the most important factor because it is here in this little patch of ground and time and space where we get freed to love the world. <clears throat> and the, the, engine, the engine of that is delight. So we, we fence off our time and space from other pleasures things that really do please us for true delight so that we can be filled with true delight in Christ, through Christ, to be filled again with the delight of all that He is for us. We fence off other pleasures for the sake of the delight of the only good life there is the life of God. So we do it by faith. We do it trusting God that He will meet us in that little patch of space and time. We don't do it. God comes down. We need this. We need this because we we are constantly being trained in other directions by the next movies suggested to you by Netflix, by your Instagram feed, by the commercials as you watch the World Cup, by the thoughts of your own heart. All of these lesser pleasures are training our hearts to peel away from God. We need some space and time to encounter the holy, holy, holy. And the only way we do that is through Jesus, by communing with Him, thus the Sabbath. So what does this look like exactly? I want to say, uh, first, be in church. <laughs> You're all in church, preaching to the choir. Um, be in church. But secondly, again, consider what do you do with Sunday afternoon? What if, what if that revival, that, rev, that revival that we so desire, that we so want, what if, what if ground zero for that revival will, will not be right here, right now? but in the quieter moments of, of how, we, how we spend Sunday afternoon on that little patch of carpet, that, that little patch of the dining room table where you're not, you're not reading your Bible to, to get the right answer for Bible study this week. 
You're not reading the Bible to, to acquire more knowledge. You're not reading the Bible to, to check off another box on your McShane Bible reading plan. You're reading the Bible to get Jesus, to see him, to watch him, to taste of him. What if that is ground zero for revival? I have to say, it sure has been in my life. It sure has been in my life. So, without setting out a law, I want to suggest uh, some, some paths to run on for that time with you and the Lord. And they're, they're, they're directly from Scripture. Scripture often takes the most important things it wants us to remember and puts them in threes. There's lots of threes in Scripture. You see them everywhere. Just I think we're just made to remember threes. Here's some important ones. To consider at your dining room table or in your living room, um, the past, present, and future work of Jesus for you. Think about the cross and just noodle on it. Just, just bask in it again. How deep and full is your forgiveness for all of your peeling away from him? Every last bit of it covered by the blood of Christ. How, how you have all of the life of God in his resurrection. We have been united with him, joined with Christ by faith. We who are in him, who have trusted in him, we are united with him such that all of his resurrection life is, is our life, the life of God we have in him. We have it. And nothing can take it away from us. The only way it could be taken away from us is if Jesus is put back into the grave. Nothing can take it away from us. And now that he has ascended, he reigns and he orders all things for us. All things for our good. Every detail of all of the universe for us. So you sit under this and you just enjoy it again. And you think about the future grace of God to us, how five minutes from now and 5,000 years from now, He will still providing his, be providing His amazing grace to us. Glorified bodies soon to come. Life in Him. Pure, utter Security, peace forevermore. As we think about this, another three comes to the fore. Faith, hope, and love. Our, our faith is, is built up at the foot of the cross. And as we think about the future, uh, the, the future grace that comes to us through Jesus, our hope is built up. Our hope is, 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 is filled and fired. And as we think about His love to us right now, His unbreakable love Love dwells up within us. Love for God and love for neighbor. So think and pray. Think and pray about a father who stands 
stands at the top of this ladder and think about the ladder itself in Christ and think about how Christ has lavished you with His Spirit that unites you to Him and that takes you in this, in this vital free connection with the Father. A connection that none of us have earned, none of us deserve, and yet we have it completely. Have it. Not even our own sin can take it away. So then maybe, maybe a simple way to, to let this flow is word, prayer, and fellowship. We, we open our Bibles and we look for Jesus and we, we pray. We, we pray words of thanks. We, we're just ourselves with God. And then, this is, this is my wife's suggestion. I think it's a great idea. You have cake. <laughs> you gather your family around a table and you enjoy it. You have cake and you talk about God. Have cake and talk about God. I may have mentioned this already, but I'm going to say it again. I, it was a wonderful moment recently where I asked one of my kids, what, 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 are, you, what are you seeing about God? And, and she said, you know, it's like your best friend is running the world. <laughs> it was exactly what I needed. All of a sudden, my world changed. Everything, everything changed in that moment, that day. Sit around and talk about God. Fellowship. Family or friends. We need this. As we rehearse these things and reflect on them, the Spirit points us to Jesus. And then Jesus brings us to the Father, and we see again what a happy God we have. What a good life He lives. And the Spirit, the Spirit flows more of that life to us, and we become more like Him. We become generous like Him. We become life-giving like Him. We see the world with His glasses, so to speak. We have all of His happiness in us, and we want that for the world. He curls us out of ourselves to love the world by causing us to delight in Him. That's how this works. That's what He's up to in the Sabbath. So Christian, we, we need this kind of Sabbath that we would ride on the heights of the earth so, fence off the time, and by faith, wait for Him to come. This holy, holy, holy God who loves you like a perfect father, carve out the time and welcome Him. May He meet with us in these quiet, simple moments to delight in Him and therefore to be freed to ride on the heights of the earth and to free others to do the same. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, this is our prayer. Sometimes, sometimes wonder how much of this delight do we really understand? 
I pray, would you by your Spirit meet us. Let us encounter you and be filled with your life and therefore your, your happiness, your delight in yourself and be filled with delight ourselves in you. Cause us therefore to spread that delight into the world, to spread the freedom of your kingdom, the freedom of your life into the world. We are not able to do this. Only you can. Will you come and do it, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.